This MGMA podcast is sponsored by AHIMA. Were you previously trained in ICD-10 but noticed gaps in your training? Are you seeking to improve your coding skills and knowledge? Or are you having trouble coding advanced cases in ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, or CPT? If you answered yes to any of these, then we have the workshop for you. AHIMA's Crack the Codes Advanced Coding Workshop walks you through identifying correct codes with actual redacted patient health records. Create your own one to four day training schedule by choosing the classification systems that meet your needs and get a thorough review of ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, or CPT. Don't miss AHIMA's highest rated face-to-face meeting starting June 5th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Visit ahima.org events to learn more and register. Hello and welcome to this episode of MGMA's podcast. I'm Chris Harrop, Senior Editorial Manager. Thank you for listening today. I recently traveled to Phoenix, Arizona for MGMA's 2018 Operations Conference, where we presented three days of education, content, and insights on practice management topics ranging from population health and practice culture to human resource policies and employment engagement. One common refrain in many of the sessions was that consumerism continues to grow as a major influence in how healthcare operates in the United States. Multiple surveys find that patients are willing to shop for the treatment that fits their needs, which often have much more to do with scheduling and convenience rather than specifically where they can find the best care delivery. To that end, healthcare organizations are working to make it easier to get patients in to see their providers. A March MGMA stat poll found that nearly half of practice leaders have changed their processes in the past year to reduce wait times, while another 22% said that they are working on it. MGMA consultant Ken Hertz, who wrote about these poll results, noted that your front office and reception area can either be a great asset or a liability. If you treat your patients well at check-in and check-out, move them through the office efficiently, and provide a comfortable experience, they'll appreciate it. But failing to do so creates challenges across your staff, which may be difficult to overcome. I want to start this episode with some insights into provider work schedules for medical groups from healthcare consultant Rosemary Nelson, who is joined by Dr. Katie Richardson, a pediatrician and healthcare innovation leader with the Colorado Permanente Medical Group in Denver. They spoke on April 23rd about how patient scheduling models are in a state of transition like so many other aspects of practice management, with many practices in a very provider-centric system, while others are shifting toward a person-centric model. Why does the patient come in here at 8 p.m. or at 9 p.m. or at 8.30? And not understanding the flow of what happens from that check-in process to the rooming process and why that patient's not scheduled for 8.15, but it's not a provider-centric schedule, but a patient-centric schedule, right? So sometimes it's just the way we think about the day and what we do. And would the patient wait if they came in at 8.30? Or would we see them right away and do what we would have done at 8.15? So that idea that we don't tell them 8.15 because they might wait is no different than not telling me 30 because they might wait, because they're probably waiting, right? And you know that you have this concept of staffing needs. I did some work with a practice in Boston, and I asked them what time they started their day, they said 8 o'clock. Well, I always like to come in early and see what happens and how it works. So it's Boston, it's November, so it's a little bit chilly and brisk, and I get there at about 20 of 8, and the door is locked. 
I'm like, okay, I'll get it. Maybe, you know, probably unlock it at five, at quarter up. Shortly after I get there, a patient comes up. What's the typical urology patient for the demographics? Older, yeah. Usually they have to go to the bathroom. They're making their way out in the cold. So this old guy comes, and he's waiting as well, just like I am. And the door doesn't open, and the door doesn't open. And another guy comes. So now there's three of us. And guess what time the door opened? Eight o'clock. Both these guys had eight o'clock appointments. Does that even make sense? So are we not getting the staff there in time? What, what else is happening within that organization? We really have to think about how we're going to optimize that entirely. And then, of course, provider-centric does nothing for demand. It does nothing about, it doesn't recognize who's calling, when they're calling, or why they're calling, what they need. We try to fit that demand into this pre-designed template where we can only see this kind of patient at this time, and a follow-up here, and a new patient here. And it doesn't matter that the new patient is in the middle of the afternoon when most of the patients are still working and they probably need a different time. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we look at provider center. We got all those other workarounds, and you know, we, sometimes we worry about payers as well. But the real issue is that we're not thinking about the patient needs. We're, we're kind of just doing the way we've always done it. And pretty much a lot of schedules look that way when you walk into a practice. Now when we talk about patient-centric or person-centric, we're really talking about open access. We're letting that patient come in when they want to come in. We're trying to get that patient in when they want to come in. That's our effort. Just let them, and then they all walk in, just like my grandfather, who had a hard time hearing, so we can just show up to ask a question. But thinking about how we actually use the discipline of measuring demand and capacity so that we can match or attempt to match our capacity to demand is what a patient-centered schedule is like. Now, a lot of that is dependent, and those of you who are doing open access scheduling know that you have to be sensitive to the provider panel, the, the patient panel. You know, you're not going to have a family medicine doctor who sees 3,600 patients on his or her panel have open access to be successful. It's just not going to work. So you do have to look at that as well. Nelson also discussed one of the benefits of schedule smoothing, which is the reduction of the types of visits and how one instance of taking a real-time look at patient flow helped deal with variances between slower providers and faster providers. People get a little too fancy. They think they're going to create the optimal day. If we create these appointment types, and we put them in this pattern, we're going to have the perfect day. I want to know who has had a physician come to them in the last month and say, I had the perfect day today. It was scheduled so right on. Every patient was the kind of patient I was supposed to see in that time slot that I set, set up. Ever happened? Even if it's scheduled properly, the patients don't always tell you everything, right? You know, they tell, they, I need an appointment for such and such. Well, they don't really confess the other add-on until they get in there. But that's the kind of thing you can study a little bit retroactively. So we want to look at what we're doing so that we can understand how to build what we need. And we don't always do a good job of that. We also don't look at it on a real-time basis. We aren't really looking at what's happening in terms of the resources. Who's, who's using what? How can, we, how can we improve the schedule for a particular doctor I talk about the fast guy and the slow guy, and I was in an internal medicine practice. How many rooms does a typical internist have? How many exam rooms? Two. Two. Oftentimes two. Sometimes three. So in this one setting, they actually had two and a half, or five shared by two providers. What was happening was the slow provider, their rooming nurse, would keep putting a patient in that shared room. Well, the slow provider isn't getting to the shared room very quickly. Are they? There was always this contention. 
Now I got patients backing up here, and meanwhile you you created a waiting room in the exam room. What we needed was somebody who could kind of oversee that and get them to play nicer together. You know, if the nurses can't do it themselves, then you want to have a you know a flow coordinator, somebody who's looking at the flow, saying, "Hey, we're moving really fast here. You stop using that room for the day. We'll, you know, at, at lunch break we'll go back to it being a shared room, but for the morning let's get this doctor caught up." Meanwhile. You know, maybe, maybe it's the patient population. Maybe the older internist, shockingly, has older patients, right? As our population gets older and it takes them longer to dress and undress and move around in the exam room, it's going to take longer. How about pediatricians? How many exam rooms does a typical pediatrician have? Four or five? You guys three? Katie, what have you got? Three. Yeah. Anybody else? Three. Yeah, I was in a practice that had six. It was amazing what they could do. Because as long as you have the support staff to help, think about all those babies you're dressing and how long it takes sometimes for the parents to get the <coughs> kid put back together after that and how long that takes up wounds. Nelson also addressed some of the issues with centralized scheduling and the need to rethink some of the protocols that often get built into those systems that yield unintended problems down the road. Centralized scheduling. This, the scariest thing for most people is that they lose control. This is kind of the last bastion of control for a lot of providers. And being able to centralize your scheduling can be very effective. You have to be able to take all comers. You gotta, you gotta free that up to say, these are patients that want to be seen. We got open slots, let's put them in. People don't always feel good about that. You know, even when you have follow-up appointments. How many times in your practice do you think, um, in a day, does a physician or a provider write an order that says, I want to see this patient in two weeks, but their schedule is so full that the scheduling staff can't schedule in two weeks. So what happens? Double book? Schedule with somebody else? Anybody else have the front, the scheduling person call back to the nurse and say, what should I do? Yeah. Is that a waste of two people's times? Yeah. yeah, and now what does the nurse say? They ask the doctor. Now whose time are we wasting? And what's the doctor say? Go ahead, it's okay to double book. It can go three weeks instead of two. I mean, any combination of things. Why can't we train people to say, when this happens, this is what we're going to do? You know, or you have the authority to do it. You know, the pecking order is not good because whoever put that, you know, we're always like, who made that put on that schedule? Go look at the initials. Who did it when they did it? What are we going to do? You know? Yes, there's always opportunities to re educate staff, but usually when we're doing that, that finger pointing thing, we're not thinking about how to make it better. And we're not thinking about the problem that caused that. We set that person up. We set that person up to do something that we're not going to be happy with. So that's part of what we need to think about with centralized scheduling, is going with the flow of what we created. It's a self-inflicted problem. We can fix that. First of all, think about follow-ups. How about that old, you know what? If you're not feeling good in two weeks, I want you to call and we'll get you in. Versus just automatically put them on the schedule. You've got a well-controlled patient with well-controlled blood pressure. You really need to see in six months. Is there anyone that's good enough? You know, rethink those protocols. Rethink the standards that you have. You're filling up your schedule with patients that really probably don't need to be seen and would prefer not to come in. Or maybe there's a nurse call visit in six months instead. So thinking about how we do things and allowing that centralized scheduling to actually go ahead and take control. And then you want to look at your no-show rate and your bump rate. Most of you are probably looking at your no-show rate. But if you look at it, you say, well, it's not too bad. You don't really look at how we can reduce it. The bump rate is even more important. 
That's the, the day when the physician comes in and says, you know what, I'm not going to be here on that Tuesday. You're going to have to move all those patients. How frequently does it happen by which providers? And then what happens to those patients? You know, I worked in a cardiology practice where they made follow-up appointments six months in advance. How frequently do you think those got changed? The, yeah, always. The patients, it was a 50-50 shot. And the patients, you know, the staff would say, I'm not calling this patient again. We bumped him three times. I'm not, you call him. Yeah, okay, that really makes it different for the patient. So thinking about what we're doing, why book an appointment six months in advance if you got a 50-50 shot at changing it? Don't book it. Book something in your system called a recall. You all have that feature, it's so underutilized. You know, people want to book, my only turn is like, you know, we're gonna book your annual visit. She's part-time, that's a problem. And too many, too big a panel, so that's the other problem. And I convinced her to so healthy and no meds and all this, and I've been going like every two years. But I had to promise to call one year from my appointment to make the appointment for one year from then because I couldn't get in if I didn't make it that far in advance. Is that not insane? So thinking about what we do and how we track that. The other thing that a lot of groups aren't doing is looking at their cancellation conversion rate. Somebody calls and says, when I call that colonoscopy center, and hey, I need to cancel that appointment and make another one. How do I, I need to cancel that appointment, I'll call you back when I, when I know my schedule better. How many of those callbacks are you getting? Are they really canceling for a different reason? What is your cancellation conversion rate? Are you really converting into appointments or are you just losing patients? Are they jerking out of the system? And finding that out on a per provider, per payer basis is going to tell you something. And then, of course, you want to track your new patients as a percent of your total because the outcome for all of us is the same, folks. Those patients are going to go away somehow, somewhere, sometime. You need new ones. The other types of metrics that I think you should look at. Um, is patients who have significant no-show history. This is kind of like the patients who don't pay. Um, you know, I'll work with doctors and they'll be like, yeah, well, we really don't want to, we don't want to settle, we want to do this, we don't want to do that. So why do you want to keep a patient without paying? Why do you want to keep a patient who continues to no-show? Dismiss the patient from the practice. It's that simple. You probably have no more than a half a dozen over the course of a year. But if it's causing problem after problem after problem for your providers or your staff, where's the benefit? They're not showing up, you're not getting anything. So Katie Richardson, from her perspective as a doctor, recommends your work schedule should position your physicians to do what they do best, handling diagnostic dilemmas. What, what is your provider best at? I mean, I would say uh, as physicians, we have been trained to solve diagnostic dilemmas. That is what our brains are best used for. So how do we get our physicians seeing those diagnostic dilemmas? How do we get more of our, so although our APPs don't necessarily love to see the minor acute care, I would call it, but I think um, well visits, we know that the adult well care visit is something that's not even recommended anymore, right? Yet we continue to do them, but they can do routine health care for adults and kids, and they can see the minor acute illnesses because your, your physicians are the ones that should be really seeing those diagnostic dilemmas. So find your high performers um, and or uh, you know, folks that can set the example, right? Um, one of the things that happened within our practice really is our trauma <coughs> and procedures kind of went away from the primary care physician schedule for a period of time into our um, APP schedules and they primarily took on that work. So I felt like I'm, I'm a little ways
is out of residency now, and I thought, wow, I haven't sutured a laceration in a really long time, and I've kind of lost those skills. And we then kind of said, okay, lacerations are one thing, but we'd like to at least move the trauma back to every provider kind of seeing their own trauma. And our PAs and nurse practitioners then can be there to support us in many different things, including our well care, our minor acute um, visits. And, and we still have a couple providers who are not interested in having those patients on their schedule. So if they get those patients on their schedule, they'll have their nurse call and see it, you know, it's a lot of jockeying. It causes, you know, problems for the patient for sure because their appointment time may need to be changed. They may need to go to a different location, other things like that. And so we really go back to something that Rosemary said at the very beginning, that this really needs to be patient-centered. And the reality is we have a lot of support within our clinic. So even if I don't feel 100% comfortable with what I might be, uh, what might be on my schedule, I always know that I have my colleagues, I have um, my consultants via phone that are quickly accessible, um, and, I, and I have my PAs and nurse practitioners really who are there to help support me in those times, and that goes back and forth. So I think really creating that kind of team mentality is a really important piece. Richardson also noted how you can maximize your schedule by having a good collaborative approach to office layout changes and renovations. As we're moving forward with some of our um, building refurbishing in our organization, one of the, the cool things that I think is really important is to have three key players at the table when you go through any kind of redo, right? The, the facilities folks are the people that are the architects, the people that are doing the construction in the building, the operations folks, so physicians, providers, care teams, and then the technology folks. So any project moving forward now in our organization, we're all sitting at the table together to talk about what does the space look like? How is it used? How can we maximize space technology to create the most efficient use of those things? And like with all scheduling issues, it all boils down to time. As Richardson notes that the work of making impactful changes to physician scheduling should have a simple goal. Let your physicians build connections with patients and deliver high quality care. Time is a delicate balance throughout the day, right? I think if you talk to most of your providers right now, they're gonna feel like they are running on a hamster wheel. This is what medicine is today. It feels like you're running on a hamster wheel. You're going from one exam room to the next, back to your computer, you're doing charting, you're answering questions, you have stuff coming at you throughout the day, whether it's interruptions in the exam room, is it, you know, I always say, it's the constant barrage in your in-basket. I'm assuming everybody here is on EHRs, but that constant barrage of new results, phone calls, emails, all that kind of stuff, it really feels like you're running on a hamster wheel. And what I would say when you're pondering physician scheduling or provider scheduling, our wants are really simple, right? We want to have enough time with each patient to create the connection. That's why we went into medicine, to really build connections with our patients and help people. And we want to deliver the highest quality care possible. So when the providers are angry 
and uh, unhappy with um, the way things are going, know that at their core, that's really what they want. They want time with their patients to build connection, to help them, and to provide the highest quality care possible. And for us, we, we're on a 20-minute schedule. I have a 20-minute break in the morning, a 20-minute break in the afternoon, and lunch in the middle of the day. I have a couple of phone visits, but it's almost all face-to-face -face care. And I actually look at it, I know in private practice, um, again, this mix of short and long appointments happens. There are definitely some times where it's a 10-minute visit because it was a runny nose, and I'm out of that room in 10 minutes, and there are many times when it's a 30-minute visit, and I'm spending the extra time that it takes to really, again, build that connection, build trust with the patient, and figure out what's going on with their child. That's all for this episode of MGMA's podcast. I'm Chris Harrop. Thank you for listening. This MGMA podcast is sponsored by AHIMA. Were you previously trained in ICD-10 but noticed gaps in your training? Are you seeking to improve your coding skills and knowledge? Or are you having trouble coding advanced cases in ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, or CPT? If you answered yes to any of these, then we have the workshop for you. AHIMA's Crack the Codes Advanced Coding Workshop walks you through identifying correct codes with actual redacted patient health records. Create your own one to four day training schedule by choosing the classification systems that meet your needs and get a thorough review of ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, or CPT. Don't miss AHIMA's highest rated face-to-face -face meeting starting June 5th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Visit ahima.org events to learn more and register.